Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. Today, we are going to answer a simple question that I hope will have clarifying effects for everyday life. The question is, how do you know if God is trying to tell you something based upon what happens in everyday life? Another way of wording that question is, how do you biblically interpret reality to discern the will of God? The short answer to these questions is that God's providence is our diary, not our Bible. Only the Bible is our Bible. Hence, we may observe and take note of what happens in reality, but we secure our understanding about God's will and how we are to live from the Word of God alone. In what follows, I will explain and unpack this answer. This answer touches upon the doctrine of divine providence, so before we move on, allow me to define terms. So what does the theological term providence mean? According to the Puritan Thomas Watson, in his classic Body of Divinity, providence is defined as the following, quote, Providence is God's ordering all issues and events and things after the counsel of His will to His own glory, end quote. Providence speaks the reality that God not only made the world, but He also provides for it. He sustains and maintains the world so that, figuratively speaking, God's hand turns the wheel that directs every moment of reality. His breath directs all things. Because God's providence governs the world, things like luck or chance or fate do not actually exist. They do not actually exist because God exists and He is provident in creation. He does not leave the world to itself to be governed by blind forces and impersonal natural laws. God's providence touches everything, everywhere, all the time. God's sovereignty means that what He wills must come to pass. God's providence guarantees that His sovereign will comes to pass because He orders all issues, events, and things to align with His will. Here now are three Bible verses that speak to the providence of God. They all communicate the idea that God is intimately involved in ordering all things. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. In Psalm 139.13-16, David says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that you formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 30, Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? For many, hearing about the doctrine of providence is relatively benign. The problem that many Christians are confronted with are the implications of divine providence in the midst of a broken, fallen, and sinful world. Some people have difficulty accepting divine providence, cognizant that many situations in life are disorderly and irregular. Another difficulty is the providence of God over human sin. Surely God, by His providence, does not cause men to sin, does He? And the obvious answer is, of course not. As 1 John 1.5 says, God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. As 1 John 3.5 says, in Him, in Christ, there is no sin. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. In Habakkuk 1.13, the prophet looks to God and says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Furthermore, as Isaiah 6 tells us, God is holy, meaning He is in a category all by Himself. This category is characterized by sinlessness and perfection. The point of all of this is that it would be blasphemy to say that God in His providence causes anyone to sin as He orders all things according to His will. Whenever a man sins, he does so as a function of his own free will. Is it plausible that God causes the sin that he abhors? In fact, if God caused sin, he would be breaking his own law. Yet what God does do by providence is use the evil intents of men to bring about his good purposes. A fitting example of this is the narrative of Joseph and his brothers in Genesis chapters 37 to 50. What is the abbreviated version of that story? That Joseph's ten brothers had an evil intent and an evil plan against him. Because of hatred and envy, they faked his death and sold their brother into slavery. They then lied and told their father that Joseph was killed by an animal. Joseph ends up being sold as a slave in Egypt and winds up in jail for years for a crime that he did not commit. But, by the grace of God, Joseph ends up the second most powerful man in the kingdom of Egypt. When he was in that position of authority, who subsequently comes down to Egypt because of a famine in Canaan? Joseph's brothers. Now, years later, because his brothers did an evil thing, Joseph was providentially set up by God to help his family members and bring them to live in safety and security. There was a divinely orchestrated concurrence, meaning the stream of the brothers' evil plan of sin flowed into the stream of God's overall good plan of deliverance. This helps to explain why, at the end of the narrative, in Genesis 50:20, Joseph told his brothers, You meant evil against me, 
but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And let us not forget that even though his brothers did something wrong, had things not played out as they did, Joseph would not have ended up in Egypt. He therefore would not subsequently be in a position to help Pharaoh be promoted and then deliver his family. As a result, there would be no Moses, no Exodus, no prophets, no conquest of the promised land, and ultimately no Christ. No Christ would mean no salvation. And let us further not forget that God, by his providence, used the most diabolical scheme in history to bring about our greatest victory, that is, the immoral and unjust crucifixion of his son, in order to bring about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In both the examples of Joseph and Jesus, as plans were being unfolded, indeed, things did look dysfunctional, bloody, and messy. Things did feel painful and agonizing. Yet, God makes use of messy plans for His glory so that in the end, all things do work together for good for those who love God. Yes, the roads that God's providence carves may seem crooked and strange, but we cannot judge these paths by their visual appearance. Instead, we have to ask, where are these roads going? If they progress forward toward God's end, they are good paths nonetheless. If you've ever been in the delivery room with a woman in labor, every parent knows that you can never judge things by the loud, painful, bloody, gory mess in the middle. Instead, you judge things by how it all turns out, with mom and dad holding brand new life in their arms. As I said at the top, providence is the Christian's diary, not his Bible. Hence, God's providence is greatly to be observed, but providence does not command what we do. The King James Version of Psalm 107.43 says, Whoso is wise will observe these things. It does not say, Whoso is wise will obey these things. Only the Bible is our Bible, so when it comes to acquiring our marching orders or learning the principles God has provided for us to navigate life, those are found not in providence, but in the Word of God. As Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. As Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. And where is special knowledge of God to be found? In the book where God reveals Himself, the Bible. I will again quote Thomas Watson. He writes, quote, It is good to observe providence, but we must not make it our rule to walk by. Providence is a Christian's diary, but not his Bible. Sometimes a bad cause prevails and gets ground, but it is not to be liked because it prevails. We must not think the better of what is sinful because it is successful. Providence is no rule for our actions to be directed by. End quote. Let us now practically apply the doctrine of providence. I will do so in three points. Point number one, God's providence is our diary, not our Bible. Therefore, we can trust God even when providence seems to run contrary to His promises.
If we look at the life of Jesus, what we see is that hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament told us that the Messiah was coming. And God had already made countless promises about the Messiah. Like, for example, that he would sit on David's throne forever, 2 Samuel 7, and that he would usher in a new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31. But if you were an eyewitness at the crucifixion of Christ, then how would things seem? They would seem as if something went wrong. Providence would seem to be running contrary to God's promises, since a king cannot reign on a throne if he's dead. Providence would seem to be running contrary to God's promises, since an executed Messiah meant that all hope was presumably lost. But when we zoom out and see what God was orchestrating in his grand plan, although providence may have seemed to go a certain way, it was not providence that was ultimately trustworthy. It was the word of God. Hence, in John 2.19, Jesus told us, referring to his body, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And what ended up happening? Three days after the crucifixion, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The point is that God always fulfills his promises in his word, even if there is a long gap and twists and turns in between the promise and its fulfillment. This simply tells us that from time to time, life will throw us for a loop, but just because something crumbles does not mean it was outside of the will of God. Conversely, just because something succeeds does not mean it is in the will of God. Natural success does not necessarily equate to divine approval. Because providence is our diary, we can only take note of what happened and then compare it to our rule of life, the Word of God. Also take note that divine providence is unstoppable once God's timing is ready. This means that although the course of reality may seem to go in a contrary direction, there will reach a point where nothing in reality can stand in the way of God's providence. On day number three, there was nothing that could hold Jesus in the tomb, and when it was his time, there was nothing that could keep Joseph in jail any longer. There is therefore a balance in this life of the bitter providences of sorrow and the sweet providences of joy. Both seasons have a start time and an expiration date. In the end, our confidence does not come from the uncertain route to providence, but from the certain conclusion of God's promises. As it says in Joshua chapter 21 verse 45, not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Here is the next application, point number two. God's providence is our diary, not our Bible. Therefore, God's providence is never an excuse. This point ties into what I said before and immunizes us against having a passive, lazy approach to life. Using providence as an excuse means neglecting all the commands God has already given us in the Bible. As a result, in the waters of reality, the person refuses to paddle the boat and elects instead to be carried wherever the waves lead them. Here, the agent neglects what God has already provided to them. In a literal sense, the paddle and boat. In a symbolic sense, the word of God. Using providence as an excuse means saying something like, I don't enjoy working in the office where I am now, so that is God's providence telling me that I should quit. The problem with this worldview is that it can be confidently made without an open Bible. 
The other problem is that using providence as an excuse assumes that the one making the excuse can read the mind of God by providence, which is absurd. It's absurd because we have no access to God's grand plan. The finite can never grasp the infinite, and there are so many things about how and why God operates that we will never be able to comprehend or understand, because those secret things belong to the Lord. Deuteronomy 29.29 Even more, using providence as an excuse means someone can see injustice and not do anything about it because the mechanisms of injustice remain intact. This therein excuses acting in love. What God's word says is that the greatest two commandments are to love God and our neighbor, Matthew 22, 36-40. This means, regardless of providence, we are commanded to act in love whether we feel like it or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether it's risky or not. 3. God's providence is our diary, not our Bible. Therefore, God's providence gives us hope. Now, why does God's providence give us hope? Because the elect are assured they are not agents navigating life alone and independent of God, who will only meet them at the finish line of life. Romans 8.28 tells us that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Our hope, therefore, comes not because we carry the burden of providence. Instead, the sovereign God is the one who causes all purposes to terminate in His glory. Divine providence, therefore, not only gives us hope, it also gives us a purpose that is directed by the Lord. As David says in Psalm 57 too, I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. God will fulfill all the purposes for all his own. That gives us assured, concrete, eternal hope because God himself will guide his elect toward his intended end. This means that where we live, where we work, who we are friends with, what we schedule, how we move, and when we get up and go is the outworking of God's divine power and authority. God's providence has placed you in this very moment in the linked chain of events that He has ordained in eternity past. Tomorrow may be not yet to you and I, but tomorrow is already set and purposed by the Lord. I therefore do not think that it is too much of a stretch to say that subordinate to faith, providence is how the genuine Christian lives. We simply trust God who knows all and has the power to execute. He subsequently pieces together the micro-purposes of each child in his kingdom into his grand mega-purpose of all reality. His knitting together never wearies and never tires. And the best part is, what Romans 8.28 tells us is that God is not only ordering all things, but ordering all things for good. Hence, God's providence never makes a mistake, never works out for evil, and never ever lets one of his own fall outside of his providential care. I will paraphrase, but as the Puritan John Flavel once wrote in Mystery of Providence, as God executes his sovereign efficacious will by providence, nothing can happen in reality that falls outside of God fulfilling his own decree. 
absolutely nothing. Therefore, we rejoice and have hope that even the bad times will not ultimately result in anything other than the purest good for all of God's elect. God's providence is our diary, not our Bible. Therefore, God's providence gives us hope. The final thing I will mention today is in fact a question. Do you trust God? Because if you do, then you also trust in His providence. That in each and every molecule of your reality, God is actively ordering all issues and events and things after the counsel of His will to His own glory. God is the one who lives evermore, but He does not restrict that being to Himself. His being is manifest in works, by showing evident proofs of power, by preserving and upholding the entire world. God's providence, the governess of all reality, is a perpetual testimony to God's grace, power, majesty, and vital energy. This then begs the question, if everything about your life is in the hands of your loving, gracious, and kind Heavenly Father, then what must you do other than simply trust Him? Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.